more fun this morning than we're going to have. I mean, I'm not saying that what we're going to do, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I hope all of you had a great week. Uh, we certainly did. We had a lot of fun on our trip, uh, and, and there are a lot of great stories that came out of that, some that are funny, some that are not. Uh, jellyfish is the summary of that trip. Jellyfish. Um, it's good to be back. We had a great service last week, full of testimony, and again this morning. Thank you so much, Maggie and Kara and Luke, for sharing. Um, I, I appreciate Bethany reminding us that we're studying the New Testament wisdom literature. Uh, and I think she, she was mentioning that last night. She texted me. She was up here working on some stuff late last night. She's like, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you what we're talking about this month. And so when she came home, she did. And, and so it's a good reminder because if we lose focus of, of what James is, then your perspective may become that your pastor's going some down, down some very weird, very pointed series of messages, and, and I think it was good for me to kind of take a step back and say, okay, this is wisdom literature, because I'll be honest, some of these messages, the last couple in particular, have been kind of hard. Um, they've been hard to write because they are so pointed, because James is kind of getting down in the nitty-gritty part of our lives that we don't like to talk about, especially in public. Um, I shared some testimony last week of some things that I'm not proud of that I did when I was much younger, but, but the, it's good for us to think about those things. You know, when we're getting stretched, when we're getting pulled in new directions, that normally means that God is teaching us something about himself or about ourselves that we need to learn. And so it's important. Today is certainly going to be a case where we're going to kind of go down that path again. Um, so again, thanks for the reminder um, that we're walking through wisdom, Pastor. This is not like a vengeful sermon series from, from me, okay? Amen? All right, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to, we're going to look at James chapter 2, and Kyle had asked me earlier in the week which passages I was going to preach, and I never responded because I, honestly I didn't know until really this morning. God finally kind of firmed everything up for me. But here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to look at James uh, chapter 2, and we're going to go verses, uh, a lot of them. I think we're going to end up in verse 13 today. Um, but here's what I want to tell you. I'm going to need you today to sit up in your spirit, buckle up. We're going to hit a lot of scripture today. And the reason we're going to do that, the reason I feel like that's important is because we're going to talk about something that very much goes against the grain of culture. It goes against the grain of something that's kind of in us. And so when God begins to speak things like that, for me especially, it is helpful to look at a lot of examples in scripture that are teaching that same truth because when the when it comes to things that are kind of buried deep down inside of me it takes a lot to get that out and I'm sure I'm not alone in that and so today we're going to read a lot of scripture so we're going to have to do two things one I'm going to need you to stay engaged and plugged in as we do that and I'm going to attempt to do the same because I tend to get monotonous when I'm reading scripture I try to be animated so that doesn't happen but I need you to, to hang in there and do the work with me today okay so um, at the beginning of the message um, we talked about, or at the beginning of all these messages, we've been talking about true faith. Uh, and I want to recap a portion um, from last week again because it's so important for us to understand. And we're going to see James reiterate this again today. We've come to understand that true faith, what? It never stops what? Growing, right? That's our goal is to develop true faith, something that continues to grow over the course of our lives. And not only does true faith continue to grow, we talked about this, this last week, but it also always reveals itself. As we're growing, the testimonies that get shared on Sunday mornings are a testimony to our faith growing as we see God do what God can only do. And I love that our children's stuff defines wisdom as hearing what God says and then choosing to obey it. That's wisdom. That's what all of us want, right? That's where we want to end up. We want to be more like Jesus. We talked about that biblical faith is the certainty that it will happen, not based only on hope or our hard work, 
but on the revelation of God's truth and character, right? That's what true faith gives us. It helps us to see God in a way we've never seen him before. And the next time we get to a roadblock where we think, man, I forgot my goggles. What am I going to do? We know that whether it's the goggles or a house, God can provide, right? He can speak to us the things that we need to hear in the moment so that we can understand him better. Our faith grows as we spend time with God, as we follow his direction, and then get to see him working in our lives. And over time, we learn to trust God's voice and his ways. We see that they are better than what we can do in our own power. It's by allowing God to work in our lives that our faith is grown, and then that faith is going to reveal itself to the world around us. I love that last song that we just did. The lyrics of it are so incredible. Um, I want to I just I want to just touch this again because it's so good for the it says in the chorus for the glory of the father for the glory of the son for the glory of the spirit let us be known by our love by our joy and by our peace. That's what we're talking about today that our goal is to represent God well and to exhibit those things not because we worked really hard at being peaceful or joyful or loving but because God is those things in us and then through us. I want all of us to realize that as our faith grows, it's going to be revealed by virtue of itself. Because it's, what I mean by that is it's not us that the world is seeing. It's God in us, right? To take that idea further, if you grow in faith as God works in your life, you cannot hide it. I hope you see that God has designed this system to work in this particular way. We aren't discipling people or leading them to God by our own words, but by simply sharing with them what God has done in our lives. And the more active our relationship with God is, the more we're going to see him and the more the world will see him as he's working in us. Over the last few years, God has revealed to us that if we're going to be his people, we aren't going to look or act like the rest of the world. Has everybody kind of got that now? Do we understand that we're going to be different? And that's on purpose, not because we learn to act better or look better, but because God is changing us into his likeness. That's the goal. However, the problem that we all run into, all of us, is that we don't always want to be different from the world. I want to say that again because I want to make sure we're all on the same page. The problem is we don't always want to be different from the world. We find comfort in fitting in. We find Creature comforts all around us in the world that make us feel good. I hope that by the end of the message today, we're going to see that God has something far greater for us than what the world could ever offer. As believers, we're no longer from this broken world. We belong to a different kingdom. We're still in the broken world, but we belong somewhere else. We are strangers in this land, and we are called to be different because we are different, because our identity is different after we come to a saving faith in Jesus. Look at John chapter 17, verses 9 through 11. I want you to see how Jesus describes this. This is going to give us a foundation for where we're going today. Jesus says this. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I want you to see that we are united with the Father through the Son. And our purpose is to be 
in the world. We are not of the world. But Jesus has called us to be in the world, telling it about the Father and about the Son. He goes on to say in verse 13 through 16, Now, I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying, listen to this, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Church, this is not our home, but it's not time to leave yet. Jesus said he's not praying that God's going to take us out of the world. That would be the easy part, right? If God would just take us out of the world, then we could just forget about all this mess, right? And things would be a whole lot easier, but that's not God's purpose for us. And we'd miss out on understanding who God is. We are strangers in this world, but we have a purpose. And that purpose is to reveal God to the world as he works in our lives. That work's not easy. And it doesn't always feel restful. And Jesus tells us why. He goes on in verse 17 through 19. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As I sent As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may be sanctified by the truth. So what does it mean to be sanctified? If we're going to define that. It means to make as dedicated to God either in becoming more distinct, devoted, or morally pure. So Jesus is telling us, he's asking the Father, he's praying, sanctify them. Make them more like me, more morally pure, more devoted, more dedicated. And sanctification is a difficult, God-sized thing, right? That is not a project that you and I can take on alone. I can't even finish remodeling my house. How am I thinking I'm going to sanctify myself, right? Truth, yeah. That's a big deal. We were born in the world, and we were born of the world. But at some point, you and I heard the gospel, and we chose for ourselves to give our lives to him. We became citizens of the kingdom. I want us to understand that, that you and I asked for and received sanctification. And that is an ongoing process. So when we say that our goal is to develop true faith, we are saying that our goal is to be sanctified. To be set apart from the world and made more like Jesus. So that we are recognizably different from the world. So to develop true faith is to be sanctified by the Father through the Word. To hear what God says and to be wise by obeying it. That's how we develop true faith. And I wanted to give us that. I know that was a long, that was a Glenn introduction right there. Okay? (laughs) And I wanted to do that this morning because, again, we're fixing to get into stuff that's not going to feel good to talk about. And I want us to understand that this is not something that's coming out of me because I've seen it in your lives. That's not how this works. We're just walking through the book of James. But the cool thing is about Scripture is that it affects all of us in similar ways. All of us have sin in our lives, and James is going to address some of that. He's going to continue to go on. But before we get to that, I want to, this is my favorite Scripture of all time because of what it says. And it, for me, it just kind of encompasses all this this morning. It's 1 John 4, 12. It says, no one's ever seen God. Think about this. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete 
in us. Or the NLT says that God's love is brought to full expression through us. That's our goal. That's why we want to develop true faith is because we want the world to see how amazing God is. Just like we sang a while ago, that they would see the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit by our joy, by our peace, and by our love. The world comes to know God by seeing His activity, His joy-completing work in your life. And while His sanctifying work may not be easy or restful, it always leads to joy. Maggie shared this morning, thinking about buying a house is stressful. There's a lot of emotion that goes in that. There's a lot of decisions. There's a lot of financial burden that comes out of that. But she stood before us this morning with joy about what God is doing in the midst of all of that sanctifying work. The purpose for which we were created, the purpose from which we rebelled, is that we would know God. And God is doing all the work to bring us back to himself so that we can experience the incredible joy-filled relationship that he created us for. And he intends for the world to see that beauty, the beauty that he created for us. When people interact with us, as they see God in us, they get to see a glimpse of what they were created for too. This is why James is speaking so brashly against partiality. We talked about that last week and we're going to dive headlong into that again today. When we don't treat others the way that God does, we're doing the exact opposite of all that we just talked about. Because we are preaching a gospel that is not the gospel. We are telling things about God that are not true. Last week, James talked about not playing favorites, particularly between the rich and the poor. We're going to go further into that idea this morning and through this next section. We talked about how James is pointing to a new teaching when he says, my dear brothers and sisters, y'all remember that? But he does something different on this one. He says, listen. Okay? Listen. How many of you have had to say that to your children at some point? Listen. There's a meme, I don't, it's years and years old, there's a little boy who says, Linda, Linda, listen, listen. Y'all, y'all remember that? He says, listen, because he wants to get their attention because this is such a big deal. Let's look at James chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. We'll start there. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? James getting right, like he ain't beating around the bush. We jumping right in. Church, we are keenly aware that we live in a culture that is obsessed with and run by money, right? Anybody not clear on that? Okay, that's how our world works. And that's not new in case you are wondering. Listen to a really cool podcast the other day about money and inflation back in the Roman times and how that, that inflation killed the Roman government. Really, really cool podcast. I can give it to you later. But our world is, is controlled by money to the, to the point that it can cripple and eliminate an entire government system that ruled most of the known world. Money's a big deal. That's probably why we don't like talking about it a whole lot, right? Those with the ability to purchase or trade the most have historically held the seats of power in society. And that's what James is addressing today. I want to read a section out of one of my commentaries today because I think he does a good, good job of kind of summing this up quickly. 
He says, James, therefore, first ask, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? James, as we have seen, treats the majority of Christians to whom he writes as poor. Contributing to this poverty, he now suggests, are the immoral and perhaps illegal practices of rich people. The strongly marked socioeconomic class distinction um, presupposed here um, corresponds closely to what we know of the conditions in the first century Middle East. A small group of wealthy landowners and merchants accumulated more and more power while large numbers of people were, focused, or were forced from their land and grew even poorer. Most of James's readers probably belonged to this class of poor agricultural laborers. The scenario is one that would be very familiar to the readers of the Old Testament. The prophets frequently denounce or even use the same verb James uses here. Rich people who oppress the poor, including orphans and widows. So when James talks about it, in other, um, it says oppression, in others it says exp- exploitation. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that there are these rich landowners who are just gobbling up the lands and the resources of all those that are underneath them. Rather than taking care of them, they're oppressing them and making them their lives even harder. And it's possible that you don't personally feel the effects of that system that still exists today. You may not feel that in your own life, or maybe you do. But I can promise you that the people that live outside of this building 100% do. I'm going to share some, some stuff with you later, that, some work that Sinlaw Interface has been doing, but this is one of the things specifically that we've been trying to attack when it comes um, in particular with high utility bills. Um, there are many people in, our, in central Louisiana, and that covers a, quite a big area, several parishes, who on average pay more for utilities than they do for rent. And that's crazy. And that's crazy. And you could, I, I got lost in a rabbit trail yesterday, and you can kind of walk down the, the line of history and see what has caused that, that it's a generational epidemic that's been happening. But the reality is, is that it still exists today. And James wants the church to know that God does not favor the rich like the world does. In fact, he and Jesus had much to say about how they view the poor. The Old Testament had a lot to say about how God views the poor. Let's look at some of those examples. I want us to get this in our brain. Job chapter 34, 19, God is not partial to princes and does not favor the rich over the poor, for they are all the works of his hands. Isaiah 29, 19, the humble will have joy after joy in the Lord, and the poor people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Or Luke chapter 1, verse 51 through 53. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God sees the poor. Those that feel the effects of the brokenness of the world to a greater degree than anybody else. That's where they live, in the brokenness. And God sees them. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Or he says, then looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. We talk a lot about having God's perspective, and this is one area of our lives in which we need to let God change how we see people. Because what James is addressing is what we see happen 
over and over and over again in churches is that the, those that have the deep pockets get the places of honor and those who have no pockets get none, right? I made a, a point, and I'm not saying this because I want you to be the hero. I'm saying this because I want you to know my heart. When I took over as pastor, before that, I was helping count tithes and offerings on Sunday mornings. Whenever God began to speak that I was going to come pastor the church, I stopped doing that. You know why? Because I don't want to know what you give. Because I never want that to even be in my mind as a factor when I'm thinking about you. Because I know my heart. And I know that when the checking account at the church is low, I don't want to be thinking about who my big givers are and having conversations with them. I don't want to address it that way. Because this is not their church. This is our church, right? And God is saying through the book of James that we need to be keenly aware of the value that we give people based on their economic status. Because God, when he looks at both the rich and the poor, we just read this in the Old Testament, that they are the same, they are worksmanship of his hand. They're created the same. We look at those with big homes, fancy cars, etc., and think that they must really be blessed by God. But Jesus says that it's the poor that are blessed. The poor are blessed because they will receive far greater things when they get to heaven because they are heirs to the kingdom of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. It says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what was viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. We talked several weeks ago about death being the great equalizer. Y'all remember that? That as a result, there's going to be this great reversal that happens in our lives. That you can be wealthy on earth or you can be poor on earth, but when you die, you get the same thing. I've, I've mentioned this before. I'm sure y'all have seen the cartoon that has the hearse with a U-Haul behind it, right? That U-Haul will only take you so far, right? A person might have a lot of possessions while they're alive, but they're going to lose all of that when they die. And on the flip side of that coin, a person may have nothing in this world, but they're going to gain everything when they die. If we really believe this, this is where it gets into our own hearts right here, okay? If we really believe this, do people see that in the way that we act? James goes on to say, those who are rich and in whom we are tempted to give special favor to, they have dishonored the poor and God. Look at verse 6 and 7 again. He says, yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? He's referring to these first century Middle Eastern culture in which the wealthy got more wealth and the poor had to just get used to it. James wants us to understand that as believers, this world is not our home. We are only here temporarily, and if we spend our time building up our kingdom here on earth, we are missing the whole point of life. I, I love, there's a Shane and Shane song, I can't think of the name of it right now, but one of the lines in it is, what am I supposed to do with my worldly kingdoms next to you? You're the reward. Church, if we spend our lives 
focusing on building something here, we're missing something here that's not the kingdom of God. We clarify that. We're missing the point. We We already have a kingdom. Our neighbors around us who have nothing, they are heirs to a kingdom. And we need to see them as that. While we are here, our singular focus should be on building up God's kingdom. And I know as well as any of us in this room that it is so hard on Monday morning when work is piled on top of you to be singularly focused on building the kingdom when you got people going, where's my gas pump, where's my gas pump, where's my gas pump, when are you putting it in, right? You probably, teachers, Monday morning, kids, la, 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 la. Singular focus, build the kingdom, build the kingdom. You remember what we learned last week about showing favoritism, that if we, if we show favoritism to certain people, we're telling the world something about God that isn't true. The, act, the exact same thing is happening when we give rich places of honor and we neglect the poor around us. As we've seen through a lot of scripture today, God has promised his kingdom to the poor, not the rich. It's not the successful, the wise, the powerful, or influential that God is concerned with. God wants to use the weak, the average, the despised, the overlooked. And he does this because it brings him glory. Look at what James goes on to say in the next couple of verses, verses 8 through 11. He said, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For the one who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. You see what James is addressing here? He's saying... It's not those that don't know God that I'm talking to. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I. If we are showing favoritism, we are living in active sin. Look at it again with me. I want you to hear this. He says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. He is addressing those of us who are choosing to be sanctified. Remember, we talked about that a while ago. We asked for it. We've received it. If we are those that are being sanctified, Yet we are choosing to show favoritism. We are choosing to live in sin. We are saying that the sanctification is not needed for that area of my life. He's saying that we can't look at some sin and say that's wrong and turn a blind eye to others and say that's okay. It doesn't work that way. It's 1157. I'm going to pause right here. Here's what I want us to do. We got, I got more to say but I don't have enough time. I want us to settle in this this week. I want us to think about how we treat the people in our lives. Do we show greater favor to those who are more wealthy than those who are not? 
Let me tell you how that's going to flesh out in my life. Just this is what the Holy Spirit just put in my mind. My customers at work, do I treat some better than I treat others based on how much they spend with me? That's real in my life right now. Let me tell you the answer to that. I do treat them differently. I do. And I shouldn't. That's a problem in my heart. But I think I'm not the only one in the room. That's just the area that God just put in my mind. But I think that all of us have places in our lives where we show favoritism to people because of what they can bring to the table. And I think that it's not ironic that our children's lesson talked about that today. I think God wants to do something in our hearts. And I want to pause right here and we'll pick up next week. Because I don't want us to just skip past this. What we're going to talk about next week is the fact that if we are saying that we love our neighbors as ourselves, yet we're also treating people with favoritism, we're not really loving them. We'll get to that next week. But this week, ask God to get into your heart. And I, I titled this message today, we'll get to the end of it later, but love God, love others, be free. That's our goal. And we'll finish that up next week. But this week, ask God to show you in your own heart where you're showing favoritism. And let him have the time this week to reveal it and then be wise. Hear what he says and then do what he says. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, I'm thankful for, for a couple of things. One, for a, a message that is difficult, that gets down in the dirt of my life, but also to be part of a body of believers whose desire is to know you, to hear you, and to do what you say. God, as difficult as this may feel in the moment or throughout this week, I ask that you would give us the gumption, the courage, the, the drive to pursue your work in our lives. God, it's through that that the world gets to see who you are. If we can allow you to sanctify this part of our lives, people are going to see a new characteristic about you that they did not know was there. Father, we long for that, for ourselves and for others. Jesus, reveal who you are to us and to the world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.